Welcome to Bible Answers Live, where you'll get honest answers to your Bible questions. Let's face it, it's not always easy to understand everything you read in the Bible. With 66 books and more than 700,000 words, the Bible can generate a lot of questions. If you'd like answers to your Bible questions, you've come to the right place. Now, here's your host, Pastor Doug Batchelor, President and Speaker of Amazing Facts. Hello friends, would you like to hear an amazing fact? In the early 1800s, communications in America were carried by foot, horse, or train across the country. Depending on road conditions or weather, it could take days or weeks to get a message. But then, in 1832, Samuel Morse, an accomplished American painter, while visiting France, was inspired about an idea he heard of an electric telegraph. Morse spent the next 12 years perfecting a working telegraph instrument. And during this same period, he also composed a digital language, better known as Morse code, a set of short and long dot and dash signals that could represent different letters and numbers in a telegraph message. Morse eventually convinced Congress to finance a Washington to Baltimore telegraph line. Then on May 24, 1844, in a public demonstration, he inaugurated the world's first commercial telegraph. Morse relayed the message, What hath God wrought? A quote taken from Numbers 2323 was very fitting, giving the invention's future world impact. Just a decade after this first line opened, more than 20,000 miles of telegraph cable crisscrossed the country, empowering American expansion. Today, international communications travel at the speed of light. But you know, the Bible tells about an even faster method of communication. Stay with us, friends. We're going to learn more on this edition of Bible Answers Live. You're listening to Bible Answers Live, honest answers to your Bible questions. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. To receive any of the Bible resources mentioned in this evening's program, Call 800-835-6747. Once again, that's 800-835-6747. Now, let's join our host, Pastor Doug Batchelor, and our co-host, Pastor Jean Ross. Welcome, listening friends, to Bible Answers Live. And if you have a Bible question, that's why we do this program. We invite you to call in with your questions. It is a free phone call. It's 800-463-7297. We'll bring your call into our studio here in uh, outside of the capital of California. My name is Doug Batchelor. My name is Jean Ross. Good evening, friends, and also our friends joining us on Facebook this evening again. Welcome. Delighted that you're part of our Bible Answers Live program. Pastor Doug, as always, let's start with a word of prayer. Dear Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to open up your word and study together. We ask your blessing upon this program. Be with those who are listening. And Father, as we always ask, lead us into a clear understanding of the Bible as we study together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, Pastor Doug, it's kind of interesting. In today's world, we take for granted all of this sudden communications. Uh, it's quite true that something might occur in your hometown and people on the other side of the world might hear about it before you actually find out about it because of the way things travel and speed and satellites and the Internet and all of those things and the phone. But back in 1844, I guess it was a real big deal if you could send a message oh, without a letter or just 
shouting really loud. You know, I, I've been reading some books from the period before that. I was just uh, finishing a book by uh, about John Adams and some other books about uh, Jefferson. And, and they would write messages to Europe. And if the ship with the mail went down, they didn't even know who was president. I mean, weeks would go by, months would go by. They'd, they'd say, could you please do this or that? And they would wait six months for an answer. It was amazing. So with the electronic communications, uh, it really did revolutionize the world. That simple invention of sending messages through a series of, you ever seen someone operate a, do code operating? Yeah. I had a ham radio friend and he would sit there with his little telegraph and he would still send out code around the world with their ham radio. And uh, I don't know how he ever could decode it, but he would sit there with a pencil and write down the letters and get the messages. <laughs> and of course, the most famous code of all is SOS, Save Our Souls, I guess. That's, that's right. The international code. And that sort of help. grew out of the Titanic. That's ah. particular that grew out of the Titanic. But we were talking about a method of communication that's even faster. You know, you can read in the book of Daniel chapter 9. At the beginning of the chapter, Daniel starts to pray. By the end of chapter 9, the angel Gabriel comes. And Gabriel says, at the beginning of your prayer, God sent me to come to you and give you a message. And you think, how big is space? How far away is heaven? Wherever that is, angels must go really fast and prayer must go really fast. Mm -hmm. And just think about it, friends. If you had uh, the smartest smartphone, it's not smart enough to connect you to God. But prayer is a device that will put you in touch with the Almighty, and you don't need an appointment. You can go in Jesus' name directly to the creator of the cosmos, and he'll listen to you. And yet we pray so little. And God is more willing to answer your prayers than you are to ask them. So would you like to know more about the power of prayer? We have a special gift. We have a book that's called Teach Us to Pray. And this is our free gift for anybody who'd call and ask for it. Just a great resource, giving you some biblical principles on prayer. If you'd like to receive the gift, give us a call on our resource phone line. That number is 800-463-7297. Actually, that's the number here to our studio. Uh, for the free book, the number to call is 800-835-6747. And just ask for the book called Teach Us to Pray. Again, that number is 800 800- Eight three five six seven four seven. Ask for the book. Teach us to pray. We'll be happy to send that to anybody who calls and asks. I think we're ready for the phone lines. Our first caller this evening. Let's see if we've got uh, uh, Rondi listening from North Carolina. Rondi, welcome to the program. Hi. Uh, good evening, uh, Pastor Bachelor and Pastor Ross. Hi. I've got a couple of quick questions um, uh, dealing with bishops mm-hmm. and. Uh, I only found them really in three, three books of the uh, three chapters. Uh, let's see, First Timothy three and one, Titus one and seven, and First Peter, and it basically compared them to an overseer. Could you tell me uh, what's the difference between a bishop and an overseer? Probably nothing. As a matter of fact, there's three, three words that you'll find. Sometimes it calls them uh, an elder, a bishop, an overseer. As Paul went from church to church, Paul was an itinerant apostle, an evangelist. He would go raise up churches. Then he would organize the church and he would appoint, and they often did this by the laying on of hands, a bishop or an elder that would be the uh, basically the pastor. Uh, I was part of a group that did an extensive Bible study. It was a group of 10 people at Andrews University where we delved into 
Was there a difference between a, a pastor, an elder, bishop? They're essentially the same thing. They're just uh, different words that are used to describe the leaders of the churches in the, in the early days. Uh, so it's the mm-hmm. same word. And then he gives the, you know, the definition. A bishop must be blameless, husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, good behavior, so forth. I don't know if that's answering specifically what you're asking, though. Yeah, well, it's, it's dealing with also Catholics and the word bishop, and it's like used exclusively by the Catholics. And uh, I want to tie this in real quickly, that I've noticed a lot of churches now are beginning to dress like Catholics. And is that a sign symbolizing Babylon and her daughters? All right. Well, you, you know, you are correct that in some denominations, they reserve the word bishop for a certain hierarchy of clergy. And then they've got cardinals. Of course, then you get the pope in some churches or they've got the um, patriarch if you're in uh, the Orthodox Church. But, you know, in the Bible, it didn't really make that kind of distinction. You had you know, the pastors and elders were basically the same. Pastors, elders, bishops were the leaders of the church. Then you had apostles. And, you know, there's a limited number of those. Those are the ones who had actually seen Jesus in that first generation. And then as far as the robes go, well, you know, God did have the priests wear special garments, but we are not part of the Levitical priesthood anymore. And we believe that Peter, James, John, the apostles they disappeared in a crowd because they dressed like everybody else. Uh, they didn't even know who Jesus was until Judas came and identified him because he d- he wasn't wearing any kind of special robes. The Bible never mentions. The only thing it says about his robe is it was seamless. It never says it was a priestly robe or anything. So if, if my church is beginning to dress like that with the backward collars and all this stuff looking like a Catholic, I should stay or should I perhaps look for another church? Um, well... You know, I can't speak to that. Uh, You know, there's a place and a time for a uniform. Uh, I do think that pastors should dress in, especially when they're ministering on Sabbath, they should dress in a respectful way. You know, if people are starting to get into external display, then that would be that would be a problem, I think. But, yeah, I can't tell you where God wants you. You want to be where they're following the word, Rondi, and I hope that helps a little bit. I just don't want to be part of the Daughters of Babylon, that's yeah, all. I know. Well, I'll pray that God guides you in that. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for your call. Appreciate that. The next caller that we have is Roger, listening from Denver, Colorado. Roger, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Hi, Pastor. Got a question. Somebody told me in the Bible, in uh, Revelation 13, 11 through 18, I think it is, it mentions a country but some people say it's Israel or another country. Is it not my belief that it is America? Revelation 18, where it's talking about Babylon? No, Revelation 13. Oh, 13. Well, the first, there's two beasts in Revelation 13. The first beast you see is talking about the religious power in Europe with its seat in Rome. I don't think I need to say much more about that. No. Then it says, there's a, you go to verse 11, it says, I saw another beast coming up out of the earth with two horns like a lamb, and he spoke like a dragon. Uh, we believe that's talking about the United States of America. And the U.S. has become the, the seat. It's the strongest confederacy of Protestants in the world where Europe became the seat of Catholicism and the Orthodox churches. And they're going to form a union that is going to become a persecuting power in the last days. 
Yeah, you know, right now, uh, the thing to keep in mind when you look at the second beast in Revelation 13, 11, so he starts out with two horns like a lamb. Now, in the Bible, a lamb is a good thing. A dragon's a bad thing. And so he starts out with the power of Christ and freedom of religion, freedom of government. Those are probably the two horns. But then he speaks. He begins to legislate like a dragon, like a devil and the beast power. And it starts to persecute. And there's signs and wonders. I think we're living in, on the verge of that right now. You know, we do have a study guide called the U.S. in Bible Prophecy that really gets into this passage of Scripture in Revelation chapter 13 in much more detail. We'll be happy to send that to anybody who calls and asks. The number is 800-835-6747. You can just ask for the study guide called the U.S. in Bible Prophecy. and We'll be happy to send that out. Next caller that we have is Chris listening from Carmichael. Yes, pastors, thank you so much for doing this show. It's very much appreciated. It's a pleasure. My question is, science is discovering new things each week. And this is just hypothetical. Let's say they found a pill that would, if you're 60 years old and you took it, your body would regress back to 30 years old. Is there anything in the Bible that would prohibit you from taking this? I don't know if you'd be violating if, you know, if you're taking a pill that is going to help prolong your life, a reverse aging. Well, you know, God in the Garden of Eden, he had something called the tree of life that would perpetuate life. I don't think there's any moral dilemma in taking medication that is going to give you strength in life. I would not hold your breath if for that pill. But I can't. What about you, Pastor Ross? I don't see where you'd be breaking any kind of... No, you know, the Bible talks about death being the enemy that finally will be vanquished. And uh, God created us to have life. So taking care of our bodies, uh, eating healthfully, exercising, trying to prolong our life, both in years and quantity of life, I think is very appropriate. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Thank you very much. And thank the people that work behind the scenes to bring this program. Well, thank you. Appreciate your call. God bless you. We have uh, Lorraine sp uh, listening from Spokane, Washington. Lorraine, welcome to the program. Hi. Thanks for uh, having the program. I have a question. Um, my husband and several of his friends, were having, they were having Bible study. Uh -huh. And they got to talking about speaking in tongues. And it instantly divided the room. Half believed in it. Half said that it was that it didn't, that it wasn't because you don't know what you're saying. And my husband came and asked me, what, what does that mean? He said, because if I can't, he said, I believe that God is intelligent enough to speak to me. He's going to speak to me where I can understand, not where I'm going to babble a bunch of stuff that I don't know what I'm saying. Right. And is that dangerous? Yeah, you know, um, when I first came to the Lord, I worshiped with a church that practiced the Pentecostal or uh, example of speaking in tongues where, where they're, you know, they're babbling and they call it a prayer language. I didn't find it in the Bible. If you look, for instance, in 1 Corinthians 14, it says, um, well, let's see, what verse shall I go to? If you go to verse 9, so likewise, except you utter by the tongue, where it's easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you're speaking into the air. God says, I'd rather spend five words whereby my voice I might instruct others than 10,000 in an unknown tongue. You know, the idea of speaking and not understanding, 
uh, is the very thing that Paul is saying we shouldn't do. In, and that's 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1 through 5. So, you know, I've got a book I can send you on that. And it's called Understanding Tongues. If you'd like a free copy, Pastor Ross will tell you how to order that. That would be awesome. All you'll have to do is just give us a call. The number to call is 800-835-6747. Ask for the book called Understanding Tongues. We'll be happy to send that out to you, uh, Lorraine, or anybody who would like to learn more about it. One more time, 800-835-6747 is the number to call. Thank you so much. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thanks for calling. For over 50 years, Amazing Facts has shared the wonderful news of salvation and provided millions of Bible resources to people all over the world. We've built churches in India, proclaimed God's Word in China, and have sent free Bible studies around the globe. Today's program and free resources were made possible by our ministry partners, caring individuals like you. If you've been blessed by Amazing Facts, would you please consider partnering with us to reach others with the Bible truth? Your financial support today will help keep programs like this on the air so the blessings you've received can be shared with others. To find out more about becoming a ministry partner, please visit our website at amazingfacts.org. For life-changing Christian resources, visit afbookstore.com or call 1-800-538-7275. Our next call is Ray listening from North Carolina. Ray, welcome to the program. Ray, are you there? I don't know if Ray's on. All right, let's try Tina in Reno, Nevada. Tina, welcome to the program. Hi, thank you guys so much for having this program. Thank you. So my question is, did Jesus drink fermented wine? In a word, no. I know the Bible talks about Jesus turning water to wine, uh, a person needs to keep in mind there's a whole lot of grape juice in the Bible, but it uses one word to describe any kind of beverage made from grapes. It's all called wine. And you get the word wine from the fruit of the vine. See, I think the word you'd find in Greek is oanos or onos. You can read in, is it Isaiah chapter 65, where it says, for us, a new wine is in the cluster and God says, do not destroy it, for there is a uh, blessing in it. It talks about new wine that's still in the cluster. So in the Bible, Jesus said, you don't put new wine in old wineskins. They're both called wine. The new wine was unfermented. The old wine was fermented. So some people argue when Jesus turned the water into wine, they say it was old wine, the fermented version. But it's really hard to picture Jesus in a wedding feast making barrels of booze to get everybody inebriated and do things that he commands we should not do. They said, you've saved the best for last. And this is John chapter two. And I, I think the best is unfermented. Yeah, that was, I actually got into a conversation with my son who argued with me that it was fermented. And I'm like, no, I don't think it is, but I'm going to ask Pastor Doug. Yeah. And you know, there's one more verse you might consider. And if you look in Matthew, um, it's where Jesus is having the Last Supper, and he said, I will not drink that wine until I drink it with you new in my Father's kingdom. Even at the Last Supper, Jesus referred to the wine that he gave the disciples as new wine. So the body of Christ is represented by, un, it was unleavened bread, and his blood was unfermented wine, because they both are symbols of purity. 
And I've got a book. We do. Yes. It's called The Christian in Alcohol, and we'll be happy to send this to anybody who'd like to learn more. All you'll have to do is give us a call on our resource phone line. That's 800-835-6747. And you can ask for the book called The Christian in Alcohol. We'll be happy to send it to anybody who calls and asks. Our next caller that we have, we're going to try Ray again. Ray in North Carolina. Ray, welcome to the program. Thank you. I hear you now. All right. Uh, I do have a question. My, my question is that why are there Christians who think that the experience of the repentant thief on the cross uh, was one that teaches that one need not be baptized to be saved? If it seems to me from St. Matthew chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, that uh, many of the people, or maybe all the people around Jerusalem and Judea and Jordan were baptized by John the Baptist, at least a great majority of them apparently were baptized. And I would think that it seems quite conceivable that the repentant thief on the cross was one of them. Well, it is true that a lot of people from the area of Jerusalem and Judea went and were baptized by John. But as you mentioned, those are people who had repented of their sins. The fact that he is now being convicted of three things that are mentioned. One, it says, a thief. Another time it says a, a rebel or malefactor. Another place it says guilty of murder. Now, we don't know if that was just Barabbas or Barabbas and his two companions. I do believe that baptism is important. I don't believe we can use the thief on the cross to, to decide whether or not you should be baptized. The last thing it says in the Bible is in Matthew chapter 16, sorry, Mark 16, he says, go teach all nations, baptizing them. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever believes not will be uh, damned or condemned. And Jesus said, go and teach all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In John, he says, unless you're born of the water and the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. So, you know, anyone who diminishes baptism doesn't understand. Now, are there exceptions? Will there be people in heaven that there's a record that they weren't baptized. Well, of course, you've got, you know, a whole Old Testament full of patriarchs that will be in heaven doesn't record that they all practice baptism. And so the idea that baptism is, you know, you, nobody's going to be allowed in heaven without baptism. If a person's in a hospital and they're connected to medical machines and they accept Jesus in the last hours of their life, uh, you can't say, well, uh, the hospital's not going to accommodate a baptism. So they, sorry, we can't save you. Jesus will give them credit for his baptism at that point. But those are rare, rare exceptions. If a believer can be baptized, why wouldn't he or she want to be? Yes, I, I understand your sentiments. I think also the repentant thief on the cross fits in with the spirit of baptism, as mentioned in Romans 6. Being crucified with Christ literally yeah. had made put him in a special a place where I think there's much teaching about baptism just in the fact that he was crucified with Christ and he went through a, a great change of heart and a lot of repentance and a, a desire to know Christ and keep on knowing Christ. I think there's a lot of teaching right. of baptism with the, the repentant thief, and it does not negate the importance of baptism. Exactly. You know, I've got a book I'll be happy to send you if you'd like a copy, and it talks about the importance of baptism. It's simply called baptism. Is it really necessary? And we'll be saying, happy to send it to anyone who calls and asks. Very important subject. The number to call is 800-835-6747. And again, you can just ask for the book called Baptism. Is it really necessary? Our next caller that we have is 
Delena, listening from California. Delena, welcome to the program. Hi. How are you? Hi. Good. Get real close to your phone. Okay. I I am. I just talk low. Can you hear me now? Yep. Okay. I have a question. I was studying on your the Bible um, thing on um, AFTV Media Library, the Bible study you have. Yes. And I got stuck on this question. I was very concerned about this. Okay. Luke twenty three fifty five to fifty six. The women. I believe uh, from Galilee, where Jesus was from, they put oil, oils and spices on him. Mm-hmm. And then Luke 24, 1 to 3, the resurrection day, they came back. Okay, is the reason they came, they went back to do that, the same process? Was it because um, they believed that the spirit would come back into the body? Was that the Jewish custom? Did they believe that? No. And it, it, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I was just going to say... Uh, you read that they did not finish the task of embalming him because the Sabbath was coming. So they stopped. They went home and kept the Sabbath according to the commandment, which is uh-huh. you read in verse 56. Then uh-huh. they came back with additional spices that they had acquired early Sunday morning and com- they intended to complete the job. That's why they needed the stone rolled away so they could finish embalming the body. Uh, It started out that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, they bought 100 pounds of myrrh before his burial to begin the process. They would dip the cloth in myrrh and they'd wrap the body, but they hadn't finished. So the women came back with some additional spices and they were going to finish embalming him and lo and behold, he had risen. Okay, I was asking that because I know my family, when my mom passed away in the house, they said her spirit was hovering around and then like... My sister came over and she's like, I feel mama's spirit. I'm oh, like, yeah. oh my God, that's going to be scary in the last days. I'm, re- I'm studying this so hard so I can try to help. But I'm, I know, know that's a, that a sentimental thought, but there's nothing in the Bible that says that the spirit hangs out in some limbo between death and the resurrection. That's like familiar spirits. Exactly. Yeah. You know, we, there are people who say you can communicate with the dead or have a seance or whatever. And Bible says we shouldn't get into those dark arts at all. But I have, you know, one last thing. When my, before my mother died, she was like, she was still alive because I spoke to her and I went home. I just couldn't see her pass away. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as I got home, she said, D, that's what she called me. Um, take care of your dad and, you know, be strong, blah, blah, blah. And then my brother called like 30 minutes later and said she died. I'm like, and people keep telling me in, in the Sabbath class that the dead can't speak, but I keep telling them she was not dead when she, when I heard this and when I heard this in yeah. my, my mind, my spirit or something. Well, yeah, you know, sometimes maybe she was praying and an angel whispered to you. It's it's hard to say oh. what causes a, an impression yeah. like that. Hey, we do have a lesson that talks about this subject. and Thank you. Might, you. Thank it's you. simply called, Are the Dead Really Dead? This is one of our amazing facts study guides. And, of course, we'll be happy to send this to anyone who calls and asks. All you have to do is give us a call. The number is 800-835-6747. And again, you can ask for the study guide called, Are the Dead Really Dead? And we'll be happy to send it out to anyone who calls and asks. Well, listening friends, you can tell we're going to have our mid-time break. I want to remind you, if you've got to the Internet, you want to watch the program as well as listen, you can go to the Facebook page. Be right back. Stay tuned. Bible Answers Live will return in a moment.
throughout recorded history. Tales of ghosts and spirits can be found in folklore in nearly every country and culture. Egyptians built pyramids to help guide the spirits of their leaders. Rome sanctioned holidays to honor and appease the spirits of their dead. Even the Bible tells of a king that used a witch to contact the spirit of a deceased prophet. Today, ancient folklore of spirits and apparitions have gone from mere superstitions to mainstream entertainment and reality. Scientific organizations investigate stories of hauntings and sightings, trying to prove once and for all the existence of ghosts. Even with all the newfound technology and centuries of stories all over the world, there is still no clear-cut answer. So how do we know what's true? Why do these stories persist? Does it even matter? We invite you to look inside and find out for yourself. Visit deathtruth.com. Want to know God's plan for our world and solutions for your life's challenges? Beautifully redesigned, Amazing Facts 27 Bible study guides provide encouraging Bible-based answers to questions on healthier relationships, when Jesus will return, and much more. Prefer to watch while you read? Our brand new Prophecy Encounters DVD series makes the perfect companion set. Order your study guides and DVDs today by visiting afbookstore.com or by calling 800-538-7275. Every Bible question you have answered moves you one step closer to the fullness of God's will for your life. So what are you waiting for? Get the answers you need for a fuller, richer, more confident life. You're listening to Bible Answers Live. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific Time. To receive any of the Bible resources mentioned in this evening's program, call 800-835-6747. Once again, that's 800-835-6747. Now, let's join Pastors Doug Batchelor and John Ross for more Bible Answers Live. Welcome back, listening friends, to Bible Answers Live. And if you have any Bible questions, we do have some lines open. That number to call in with your Bible question, of course, a free phone call, 800-463-7297. That's 800-GOD-SAYS. And um, my name is Doug Batchelor. And my name is Jean Ross. Good evening, friends. And Pastor Doug, we're going to go straight to the phone lines. We've got another caller that's waiting. We've got uh, Reasoner listening from the Southeast United States. Reasoner, welcome to the program. Hi, Pastors. How are you doing? Thanks for taking my call. Uh, I got two questions for you, and both of them are centered on Ezekiel. The first one is in Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 12 through, I'd say, 14. In that verse, it's talking about the attributes of, well, I hate to say this, but the attributes of Lucifer, okay? And in the 13th verse, it says, you were in Eden. This is sounding like he was in Eden before he fell. Uh, and if you go on down in the verse, uh, around 14, it says, you were the anointed cherub, you are in the mountain of God, uh, and some other things that happened before he failed. Am I reading this correct? That's the first question. 
Well, I don't think you should read the account of Lucifer in Ezekiel thinking it's all sequential. I think he's saying you had everything going for you. And now Lucifer, of course, was in Eden, but he was in the Garden of Eden after his fall because he was there tempting our first parents. And it describes him as he was a beautiful angel. It describes all of the beautiful stones that covered him. Uh, You know, some of the same stones that you would find on the high priest, actually, are mentioned in this passage. Okay. I didn't read it that way, but okay. Then the second thing is over in Ezekiel 29. Uh, Israel has left Egypt. They have their own nation. Egypt did something to really make the Lord get upset with him over in here. And I'm trying to figure out what exactly happened because, I mean, he said in uh, verse 9, in 29.9, he was going to make them desolate, okay? I'm like, what did they do? It seemed like they were friends with the Israelites. What happened here? You're right. There was a period of time where there was peace between Egypt and Israel. In fact, Solomon helped seal that peace that began with David and Israel. Solomon married the daughter of the Pharaoh, uh, was his principal wife. They had a, um, it went off and on, but they had a pretty good understanding uh, between Judah and Israel. But then before Ezekiel, Pharaoh Necho came through the land of Israel. He was actually on his way to attack Babylon. And Josiah went out to fight against him and they killed King Josiah. And he was one of the best kings, if not the best king. It doesn't record anything he did wrong that Israel ever had. And they raided the temple at that time. And so there's a lot that Egypt did to oppress Israel before Babylon came to oppress them. Matter of fact, it was Egypt that not only did they kill Josiah, they took one of his sons captive and he died in Egypt, where Nebuchadnezzar then took some of the other sons and they went to Egypt. There was a renewed war between Egypt and Israel just before Ezekiel made those prophecies. And what's interesting The prophecy came true because part of the prophecy said you will be littlest among the nations where they were the world empire at one time. From that point on, the temples all imploded. They never rose again to be a great nation. And yet Israel has been destroyed and rebuilt 27 times. Okay, thanks a lot. All right. Hey, thank you. Great question. Next caller that we have is Tyler listening from uh, Oklahoma City. Tyler, you're on the air. Hi, my name is Tyler. I'm from Oklahoma City. I'm 12, and my question is, in Mark, hold on. Okay. In Mark 9:48, it talks about a worm that never dies. Is this worm real, or is it symbolic? It's symbolic. Now, keep in mind, let me tell you what Jesus is talking about, and even when he says it, he may be looking at it. Pastor Ross and I were in Israel together, and we looked at the Valley of Hinnom. Sometimes it was called Gehenna. Outside of cities back then, they had dumps. You didn't you know, have a garbage truck that would pick things up. People had wagons that would haul things out. They'd find a deep, useless valley where nothing was growing, usually a rocky valley, and they dumped their trash in there. To keep it from filling up, they'd also burn it. There was rotten food. There were dead animals. It was just awful. Sometimes there was smoke coming up. So Jesus points to Gehenna, and he said, you're better if you were going to heaven, missing a hand, a foot, or eye, then going into Gehenna, where the fire is not quenched. Nobody ever put out the fire in Gehenna. They wanted it to keep burning, to keep the smell down. Where the fire is not quenched and the worm or the maggot doesn't die, meaning there's, it's always full of maggots. Jesus is using that as an illustration 
of where the lost would go, a place of uncleanness, a place of suffering and darkness. No, it's not talking about little worms that live forever and ever. Thank you. That's a great question. You know, we do have uh, a study that talks about, is the devil in charge of hell? And it talks about the word Gehenna. It'll give you the four words used for hell in the Bible and all their definitions, and you'll enjoy it. And it's illustrated. You'll really like it. If you'd like to get it, all you'll have to do is call our resource phone line. That's 800-835-6747. And you can ask for the study guide called Did God Create a Devil? And Tyler, I'm just thinking you mentioned you're 12. Uh, You might not have seen this before. If not, you might want to take a look at it. Uh, Two things. Number one, we have a video called Cosmic Conflict that kind of talks about the origin of evil and uh, talks about finally how the righteous will be victorious. We also have a set of study guides geared just for kids called Amazing Adventure. Very popular and that's also available through Amazing Facts. So wanted to let you know about that. Next caller that we have is Edwin listening from Vancouver, British Columbia. Uh, Edwin, welcome to the program. Hello. Hi. Hi, Edwin is speaking. We're glad you're here. And your question tonight. Okay. My question is regarding Revelation 5. When John uh, looks and sees a book, the book still is. And why, what is this book? And what is the importance of this book that he was crying so bad because no one could open the book until the lion, Judah lion, Except the Lion of Judah, yes. I'll tell you what, Pastor Ross, he, Pastor Ross uh, has a special love for Revelation. You want to explain what the book is and why everyone's yeah, crying? Yeah, we'll, we'll share a little bit about it. It's a great chapter. Chapter 5 is a description of the heavenly throne room. It actually starts in uh, chapter 4 and chapter 5. Chapter 5, God the Father is seen holding a scroll sealed with seven seals, and no one's able to open this book or the scroll except for Christ, the Lamb, appears before the throne, slain from the foundation of the earth. And uh, because no one is found worthy to open the book, this is before Jesus appears, John weeps much. So folks have wondered, what is it about this book that was so important? Uh, There is a book in Revelation that is especially ascribed to Christ, and it's called the Lamb's Book of Life. And uh, there are a number of scholars that feel that this book, that each seal is broken, it reveals a different phase in the great controversy, but ultimately is uh, the promise for everlasting life for those who receive Christ as their Savior. Amen. And, you know, do we have anything talks about? We don't have a book about the book of life, do we? Uh, we don't have a book specifically that deals with that. Um, we got a magazine on Revelation, though. We do. Dang and Revelation. Uh, if you'd like to learn more about that, give us a call. The number is 800-835-6747. And you can ask for the, uh, the magazine on the book of Revelation. Find out what the critics are raving about. Top scholars and theologians from around the country come together to reveal the hidden history of the book of Revelation. With powerful reenactments and incredible visual effects, this 95-minute masterpiece brings to life the book of Revelation like never before. Revelation is no longer a mystery. Get your copy today. Visit iTunes or afbookstore.com. Next caller that we have is Anna, listening from California. Anna, welcome to the program. Hello. Hi. Thank you for calling. Hi, uh, Pastor Doug. Um, my question is um, regarding birthday celebrations. I have a friend who 
um, does not celebrate her birthday because she claims that it is a pagan ritual. And to me, I don't know, I just can't imagine God not being happy about somebody's, you know, birthday, the day that he puts them on this earth, why that wouldn't be a joyous occasion. So my question is, um, is it really, is she right? Is it really pagan and we shouldn't be celebrating our birthdays? Well, you know, I don't know of anywhere in the Bible where it says that we shouldn't celebrate a birthday. Sometimes they'll look at the story of Herod. I think Herod, it was on his birthday that John the Baptist got beheaded. And they say, oh, see, it must be evil. But you can also read in the book of Job that uh, Job's seven sons and three daughters would get together on their various birthdays and celebrate together. Uh, Taking time to thank God for a landmark whether it's your wedding anniversary or your birthday, is not worshiping a pagan god. Now, I know this same church, they'll say, you know, we shouldn't celebrate Christmas or Easter. They could probably make a stronger argument about a pagan connection with, you know, the days of Christmas and Easter. But uh, I don't, birthdays to me, I don't even think there's any connection there. I just wonder where she got that idea then. Well, their church, yeah, I'm acquainted with what church this is. And their church, uh, they try to make a case that... um, birthdays are pagan and they'll point to like I said the point to King Herod did it and so it must be pagan well just because a pagan doesn't does something nowhere in the Bible does it say thou shalt not celebrate birthdays or anything like that yeah nothing wrong with having an occasion you could you can get together and praise the Lord and thank him for anything okay wonderful. so matter of fact God God has every year God had seven annual feasts designed to help people thank God and remember points of their exodus. So God had no problem with having memorials on an annual basis to remember things. I think that's a weak argument. Wonderful. Oh, thank you very much, Pastor Doug. All right. Thank you. Appreciate your question. We have uh, Spriani listening from Dallas, Texas. Spriani, welcome to the program. Mm-hmm. You there? Yeah. Uh, now, how do you say your name? I am so sorry. It's pronounced Briani. Okay, we got an, an SP on the front for some reason. And your question tonight. Can you hear us? Can you hear me? Yeah, that's better. Yeah. And your question. I'm sorry. I don't know. I guess my phone is kind of going out. Um, can you hear me now? We can. So why don't, ask your question quickly in case we lose you. At least we can answer on the air. Okay, so my question basically is regarding um, Matthew, the 17th chapter, verse 14 through 18. And I was wondering, um, I know that there are deliverance ministries out there that, that go on, and I was wondering if, um, if there are times where a demon actually in a person that they have to go through like a longer like deliverance session, you know, in order to expel the demon out. Because I know in verse 18, it says, And Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. So how come he was cured from the very hour, but yet there are people who have to go through like deliverance sessions for like hours, and maybe some people months. Well, I'll like, tell is you. Is that even biblical? Yeah, the, the reason is, if you look in verse 20 of the same chapter, the disciples later asked Jesus, why were we unsuccessful in casting out the demon? And that's in verse 19. Jesus said, uh, because of your unbelief, uh, I said, you know, if you have faith, you can move mountains. And then look at verse 21. 
He said, however, this kind does not go out except prayer and fasting. Well, prayer and fasting is not something you do in 10 minutes. I think everybody listening fasts 10 minutes. There's no problem in that. He's talking about sometimes when a person's struggling with some kind of demonic oppression or um, a power, it may take several days of praying. Now, that doesn't mean you've got a session where all the church gathers around them and they're yelling and screaming and laying hands on them for days. I don't think that's what he's talking about. There are, there are people who are struggling, and you might need to take days to pray for them. It might require fasting and prayer. The uh, Bible says Jesus cast seven devils out of Mary Magdalene, and it doesn't sound like it happened all at once. You know, Christ could always do things instantly. He could just speak the word, and it would happen. But, yeah, as far as these demonic uh, sessions where people go through exorcisms, I don't see that in the Bible. Whenever Paul prayed, the devils came out. Uh, when he rebuked that demon-possessed girl, or is that Acts chapter 16? It happened right away. Hey, thank you. Appreciate your question. Next caller that we have is Becky listening from Michigan. Becky, you on the program. Yes, I am. Hello there. How are you? Good. Thank you for calling. Um, I wanted to make a comment. I watched The Heroes of Faith, the series, and I read the book. I liked it very much. Very inspiring. Thank you. And I have a question from this biblical point. What is assurance? Well, assurance is a confidence, and you're talking especially of like assurance of salvation. You know, the Lord tells us that we need to believe when we pray and ask him to forgive us. We need to believe that he will forgive us, that he does hear our prayers. And that's where we find joy in knowing that and believing that he does forgive us. If we always are worried that, you know, well, I'm just not good enough and, I'll, and uh, we think about the negative side, it kind of takes all the joy away. I, am I answering your question about assurance? You still there, Becky? Yes, I'm still here. I, I think you're having some um, phone problems. We might, yeah. Did that make sense? Did you hear me? Yes, it did. It makes sense. So when God promises something, a matter of fact, you know what? I've got a book I'll send you, and it's called A Justification Assurance Made Simple. And so we'll send you that book on assurance. If you'd like a free copy, we could either send it to you or you could read it online by going to the Amazing Facts website. All you have to do is give us a call on the resource phone line. That number again is 800-835-6747. You can ask for the book called Assurance, Justification Made Simple. We'll be happy to send that out to anyone who calls and asks. Our next caller that we have is Laura listening from New Mexico. Laura, welcome to the program. Yes, greetings. Greetings. I have one question, please. I want to know if King Solomon and Queen Sheba conceived a child and what happened to it. There's no record in the Bible that they had even a romantic relationship. Most of that comes from Hollywood. There's a little tiny, just a little blurb, like two sentences. I'm not sure what, what book it was in, but it, it says that there came from the far corners of the world a, a queen. Yeah, the Queen of Sheba did come from a long way, but it never says that she and Solomon had a romantic relationship. It said she came to ask him questions. He answered her questions. She gave him gifts. He gave her gifts. They made an alliance between the two countries, and she left. There's not a word in the Bible that they had anything romantic going on, and there's definitely not a word in the Bible that they had a baby together. Most of that came out of a, a, a movie in Hollywood with Yul Brenner, and I forget who the leading lady was. <laughs> 
Yes, and today, just today, I was listening to a Christian radio program, and the pastor brought it up, and he did indicate that there was a child, so I was so confused because I knew that I had seen the movie, and there was a, you know, it did indicate that they had yeah. a child. Which... Hollywood always tries to weave in some kind of romance in the movie yeah. The Ten Commandments. Okay, I was so curious, though, but I'm glad you cleared it up. Yep, no, it was a purely platonic relationship. She was looking for wisdom, and he already had 300 wives. He didn't need any extra <laughs> ones. Enough. Our next caller that we have is John, listening from Massachusetts. John, welcome to the program. Hey, how you doing? Good, and your question? Yeah, my question from Mark 719. I'm sorry, you have to get real close to your phone. Like You broke up on us. Mark, you said? You still there? Let's try one more time. John, you there? Hello, hello. Yeah, now we hear you. All right. You mentioned your question was from Mark. Mark 7? Yeah. Mark 7, 19. You guys can hear me, right? Yes, yep, now we can. Okay, okay, cool. All right. Um, so, yeah, Mark seven nineteen. Can you Can you read that for me? Is that okay? Sure. It says, because it does not enter his heart but his stomach and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods. Um, what does that mean, does purifying all foods? Well, Jesus is talking to the disciples about are they contaminated because they didn't ritually wash their hands before they ate. The religious leaders are having an argument with him. And Jesus said, this isn't what defiles your heart. He says, if you eat food and you get you know, a little dirt in your food, he says, you're, it goes through your digestive system. It is purged and eliminated. He says, it comes in and it goes out. He's trying to find a graceful way to say that. He said, that doesn't defile you. And then thus purifying all foods? Yeah, Christ is saying... Because that kind of sounds like it... I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I should say Jesus is saying that your digestive system has a purging mechanism in it. Oh, your stomach is actually hotter than the rest of your body. He's not, oh. saying, he's not saying that you're... Some people wonder if this verse is saying that Jesus declared all foods clean. Yeah, yeah, that's he, that too, but... I heard that this verse was, was added to it. Added, in the, added well, opinion. if you've got a new international version. Uh, yes, it, which is actually from your, your um, the Amazing Facts library. Sorry to interrupt you. No, it's okay. Yeah, if you're reading from the new international version, it adds something that is not in the original Greek. They say, in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. And the original does not say that. They're reading, they've got a manuscript that the scribe put a parenthetical comment in there, and they're putting it in the Bible. Jesus did not declare all foods clean, and the reason we know that is when you get to Acts chapter 10, Peter sees this vision of food coming down, and there's unclean animals. Peter says, not so, Lord, I have never eaten anything common and unclean. Well, no matter what you think Peter's vision means, Peter definitely says, that in 34 AD, he still has never eaten anything unclean. So the apostles never got the idea from Jesus that everything was cleansed. Okay. And, you know, right. I mean, really, does this mean, I mean what Christian believes that, uh, you know, you can eat skunks and cockroaches and buzzards and most of the yeah, foods yeah, that yeah, God yeah, no, declared yeah. unclean mm -hmm. are still unclean. People struggle with pork <laughs> and that's pork and lobster. Yeah, no, I'm trying to, I'm trying to give up pork. That, that stuff is no good. Yeah, and I I don't know if you heard about Enviro pig, but now they're splicing mice with with pig, and and well, that'd be a, a yeah, that'd be a double curse, wouldn't it? Because pig pork, mice yeah. are unclean. You know, there's actually a verse in the Bible that said God yeah, is going to punish there's those that eat the that that. they're going to eat those that eat that the abomination in the, the mouse. mouse and the pig. 
<laughs> that's right. Do you think? Do you think that could be that what 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 that was talking about? Like, yeah, not no. I don't think that the prophecy was talking about that. But hey, thank you, John. Appreciate it. You'll enjoy our book called Hogs and Other Hazards. And Pastor Ross will tell you about that. Yes, all you have to do is give us a call. The number is 800-835-6747. You can ask for a book called Hogs and Other Hazards. Just a catching title there. If you enjoy hearing solid biblical answers on Bible Answers Live, you can have those same insights at your fingertips through the Amazing Facts Prophecy Study Bible. The updated hardcover version is available at its lowest price ever and includes the complete set of Amazing Facts 27 study guides plus a Bible numbers and symbols chart and eight pages of colorful maps. This best ever Bible gives you a biblical cyclopedic index, words of Christ in red, chronology of the Old Testament, along with Doug Batchelor's How to Study the Bible feature and much more. Call us at AF Bookstore to learn more about it at 1-800-538-7275. The Amazing Facts Prophecy Study Bible stands apart from other Bibles, giving you the same solid answers you hear each week on Bible Answers Live. Order your copy today at afbookstore.com or by calling 1-800-538-7275. Next call that we have is Chris listening from Chicago, Illinois. Chris, welcome to the program. Um, hi, Pastor Doug, Pastor Ross. Evening. Um, I have a question, and hopefully I can get this out. Okay. Um, in Exodus, where Moses writes down the laws and things that the uh, Israelites shouldn't do and what the punishments for them are, do those still hold today? Well, the Ten Commandments certainly still hold. There are some Levitical laws that were ceremonial in nature, you're not required to sacrifice lambs. Circumcision is not mandatory. And there were some other ceremonial laws. So was there a specific law you're wondering about? Uh, yeah. Or is it one that you're um, concerned about having broken? Yeah. Um. Let me add just an additional thought there, because you are right. There are some very strenuous consequences for those who broke any of the Ten Commandments. Um, sometimes there was even a death penalty that was implemented. But we find Jesus extending grace in the case of the woman caught committing adultery. In the Old Testament law, she should have been stoned. But Jesus provided forgiveness and said, go and sin no more. So in the New Testament, we don't, you know, we don't drag people out and stone them for committing adultery or something like that there are consequences to breaking god's law but the penalty is different god's the one that ultimately judges each person based upon their works so i just wanted that clarification because new testament times you, you don't find people executing others for breaking one of the commandments other than the one that shall not kill yeah but i guess what i'm wondering is if you've broken some of these laws in the Bible where it says you're, if, if, if I remember incorrectly, because it's been a while since I read it and just didn't know who to ask, um, if you're, it, it seemed to me like if, if you broke some of these that you were just automatically damned. Well, you know, the only thing that you're automatically doomed for is if you commit the unpardonable sin. Uh, and so, Chris, there's good news for you that the very fact that you're feeling some remorse right now, and it sounds like, 
that Jesus will forgive you. He'll provide mercy. And, you know, that's one of the main reasons we do this program is to encourage people with the good news of the gospel that Jesus forgives sin. And that means in order to appreciate the gospel, you need to be a sinner. And it sounds like you're admitting that you qualify. Accept the forgiveness. Jesus died in your place. Ask him for uh, a new beginning. I've got a free book I'll give you. And it's called uh, What is the Unpardonable Sin? So you'll know what that is and what it isn't. And all you have to do is call Amazing Facts and we'll send that to you. Listening friends, and I do apologize if it it seems like we had to rush you off, running out of time. We pray that you will uh, keep us in your prayers. You can go to amazingfacts.org. God bless. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast. We hope you understand your Bible even better than before. Bible Answers Live is produced by Amazing Facts, a faith-based ministry located in Sacramento, California. Written by the hand of God and spoken with His voice, some words will never fade. Get Pastor Doug Batchelor's 12-part sermon series on the Ten Commandments by calling 800-538-7275 or visit afbookstore.com. In six days, God created the heavens and the earth. For thousands of years, man has worshipped God on the seventh day of the week. Now, each week, millions of people worship on the first day. What happened? Why did God create a day of rest? Does it really matter what day we worship? Who is behind this great shift? Discover the truth behind God's law and how it was changed. Visit SabbathTruth.com. Hello, friends. Pastor Doug Batchelor here with Amazing Facts. Corrine was divorced, pregnant, and very concerned about her future. But God saw her in her desperate loneliness and confusion. And he used a coworker to share an Amazing Facts DVD that led Corrine to our website. Here at the website, she studied our life-changing free online Bible studies. What she learned there transformed her heart. And today, Corrine has a lasting peace. She's baptized and part of a nurturing church family. Now you, friend, have an opportunity to help someone today and to make an eternal difference for more people like Corrine. Your simple investment of faith in Amazing Facts will keep growing and reaching more people with God's life-changing Word. Would you prayerfully consider sending a gift today to help others know Christ and the wonderful truth that changes hearts? And it's easy to make a donation. Give us a call at 877-506-1751. The number again, 877-506-1751. Or just visit give.amazingfacts.org or send your gift to P.O. Box 1058, Roseville, California, 95678. Thank you for studying the Word of God with me today, and I hope that you'll plan now to join me again next week as we discover more amazing facts from the Word of God. To take advantage of the offers you've heard on this broadcast, call us at 800-835-6747 or visit our website at amazingfacts.org. Did you enjoy this program? Make sure to tell your family and friends. Tune in next time for more Bible Answers Live. 
honest and accurate answers to your Bible questions. 